In this podcast, Daryl West from Brookings Institute talk about the future of work, robots, AI, and automation. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to Jobs of Future podcast. Today we have with us a very interesting guest um, and we'll talk about his background uh, momentarily. But uh, very few folks we get a chance to interview who has actually vested in their, their background and their future and in really discovering this answer of uh, Jobs of Futures. And Daryl West is one of those individual. And Daryl, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. And uh, a quick background uh, uh, that I can talk about Daryl. So Daryl is the VP uh, of Governance Studies and Director of the Center for Technology Innovation at the Brookings Institute. Previously, he was uh, the John Hazen White Professor of Political Science and Public Policy and Director of the Taubman Center for Public Policy at Brown University. His current research focuses on technology policy, the internet, digital media, healthcare, education and privacy and security. The center that he directs uh, examines a wide range of topics uh, related to technology innovation, including technology policy, public sector innovation, legal and constitutional aspect of technology, digital media, social networking, health information technology, virtual education, green technology. Its mission is to identify key development in technology innovation, undertaking cutting edge research, disseminate best practices broadly. Uh, inform policymaker uh, at the local, state, and federal level about actions needed to improve innovation and enhance the public's uh, media's understanding of the importance of technology innovation. West is also the author of, uh, he has written 23 books, and one of his uh, recent book, The Future of Work, is out, um, I think, two weeks back, Robots, AI, and Automation. And his past works include how technology can transform education, the next wave uh, using digital technology to further social and political innovation, and tons of interesting great work. Uh, he's also the winner of American Political Science Association's Don K. Price Award for Best Book on the Technology, and the American Political Science Association's Doris Graeber Award for Best Book on Political Communication. With that, <clears throat> thank you so much, Gerald, for uh, coming to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Beautiful. And, and by the way, impressive profile. I think it's uh, when, when I was looking at your uh, uh, at your your background, I was I was stunned by sort of how much research and how much sort of pop content you have published around the around this idea of uh, jobs of future. So why don't you walk us through your background? Like I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not doing justice to sort of completing the whole background of yours, if you can walk our listeners and viewers through your um, through your background. Okay, yeah, I'm happy to do that. So I've been working for 10 years at the Brookings Institution, uh, located in Washington, D.C., and prior to that, I spent 26 years teaching political science and public policy at Brown University. I've been working on technology policy for more than 20 years. Uh, I remember the time uh, uh, where I started to notice that governments were developing these things called websites and they were starting to put mm -hmm. reports online and uh, contact information and uh, starting to respond to uh, consumers. And I thought that was a very interesting use of technology. So we put out a series of reports uh, rating U.S. federal government websites on various dimensions of technology innovation, uh, state government websites, uh, urban websites, and then eventually we added a global uh, uh, 
comparison, kind of looking at how various countries around the world uh, are using technology. And much to my surprise, I found there was just tremendous interest. Like there were tens of thousands of downloads of our reports. We did them over a series of uh, years. So when I came to Brookings a, a decade ago, uh, it turned out to be a perfect time from the standpoint of technology because the technology has just really taken off over the last 10 years. You know, we've seen the invention of the iPhone, uh, the development of various social media sites, uh, e-commerce is really taking off. So technology is really transforming everybody's lives. So what I wanted to do in my uh, new book on the future of work, uh, robots, AI, and automation was one, kind of look at the emerging technologies and talk about the trends that we're seeing there, but also talk about the broader societal ramifications. What does it mean for the workplace? Uh, are robots going to take people's jobs? Uh, what's it going to mean for public policy? And how's it going to affect our system of education? Interesting. Uh, pretty impressive. So uh, what's if you can walk us through what is Booking Institute um, and what 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 do you guys focus on? Uh, Brookings is a leading uh, think tank, uh, so we are a research organization. Uh, we've been around for more than 100 years, so we are the oldest uh, think tank in the United States. We look at uh, public policy in a lot of different areas, uh, American politics, foreign policy, uh, economic studies, global development. We have a, a program that uh, focuses on uh, metropolitan uh, uh uh, developments uh, so it's pretty comprehensive in terms of the scope of research that takes place i direct our center for technology innovation so i'm very interested in all the digital innovations uh, that we have seen in recent years and the emergence of the growing digital economy and just you know what that means how it's changing the uh, landscape uh, the new options it's creating for consumers but also the problems uh, that are coming up as well. So we focus very much both on the opportunities and the challenges part of technology innovation. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. And, 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 and what, what brought you to this, this world of future of work? Like if you can, because uh, uh, your background is in public policy and, and like, what brought you to, to, to this, this side of, of, of the aisle? Well, three years ago, I started a project on the impact of technology on workers' employment and public mm -hmm. policy. And we put out a paper, a Brookings paper on that topic. And the response was just overwhelming. Lots of interest, lots of downloads of the paper. People responded. They you know, wrote in with uh, questions and concerns that they had about uh, technology. So at that point, I thought, you know, I should turn this paper into a book. And over the last three years, there have been lots of new developments, uh, new technologies. Uh, robots are coming down in price and becoming more sophisticated. We're starting to see them you know, on factory floors as well as in warehouses. Artificial intelligence has really taken off. You know, we're seeing AI applications in uh, finance, in healthcare, in education, in national security. Uh, literally every uh, sector is being transformed by that. And so I just wanted to think about, you know, what is this going to mean for us as a society? What's it mean for the economy? And how is it going to affect workers? Interesting. And and what what were your find? Like if you can walk us through your perspective about um, the future of work. Um, and, and what have you found out and whatever you can share from that perspective? 
Well, there have been a number of studies about the workforce impact of technology and automation, and they range from a 14% impact on the workforce to a 54% impact. So obviously that is a very widespread. And you know, if we're at the high end of that number, it's basically catastrophic for every society around the world. Like no country can really uh, tolerate a 30, 40, or 50% uh, negative impact on the workforce. Uh, but even if those uh, claims are wildly exaggerated and we are at the low end of that, let's say the 14% uh, impact on the workforce, I like to remind people that during the Great Recession, it only took a 10% national unemployment rate in the United States to produce the Tea Party and then eventually Donald Trump as president. So relatively small workforce uh, impacts can have an outsized uh, uh, impact on our overall politics. And obviously, one of the hallmarks of our current era is a lot of economic anxiety. Uh, people are worried about their jobs. Uh, they're worried about their children and their grandchildren and what kind of lives that they will face. There are all sorts of privacy and cybersecurity concerns coming out of a technology. You know, we all saw the Facebook hearings on Capitol Hill a month ago and all the issues that were raised there. So it's a very interesting time to be looking at technology and just trying to figure out what is it going to mean for all of us. Interesting. And I think, um, so whenever we, we uh, I read a couple of sort of uh, uh, previous historical events when either technology is getting into our system and when, when you when you talk about say getting from horse car to a car whether we talk about getting a disk drive to store your everything on your personal pc or when you talk about just a personal pc from that perspective in every of these sort of uh, situations there was like a big brouhaha around hey um there would be like uh, we'll go out of lumber or uh, we'll be will sort of even like when we were, when we were colonizing that hey the city would be filled with a lot of horse poop because a lot of horse would come how would you sort of how would we console ourselves from like we have seen some wild prediction in the past that hey this will go over but it has done everything but that like what how how should we perceive these signature and and not get bogged down with sort of some of these past trends like what are your thoughts on those People have made all sorts of wild claims about technology over the last uh, three uh, decades. I remember in the early days of digital technology, people were saying this was going to be a nirvana. It's going to mm -hmm. basically empower the grassroots. We were going to have small d democracy flourish around the world. The technology would be liberating and certainly central governments would not be able to control such a decentralized type of technology. That turned out to be completely off base because mm. uh, governments did figure out ways to regulate uh, technology. Uh, we've seen uh, countries like uh, China uh, that put a lot of emphasis uh, on that uh, and they're overseeing uh, what happens uh, with the uh, internet in uh, their country. But we're also seeing uh, 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 a lot of other countries uh, try and figure out how to control the technology. Uh, we have seen uh, the use of technology to help uh, activists at the grassroots level in terms of leading revolutions in various countries. But of course now, whenever there's a protest, the first thing the police want to confiscate is your phone because they know uh, that it has all your contact information, your electronic communications, your text messaging, 
So, you know, they don't have to beat confessions out of people anymore. They can basically get all the information they want from uh, people's cell phones. So we've seen mm -hmm. lots of very positive uh, images uh, about uh, technology, but we've also seen some of the darker sides of uh, technology. So I think the key thing going forward is trying to figure out how can we get the benefits of technology without suffering the privacy uh, intrusions, uh, the security uh, risks, or the job impacts that some people worry about. Interesting. And I think um, so. I think this weekend I was at Corning. Uh, I, I took my kid to Corning's glass museum and all, and and sort of I was looking at the town. And one thing that's what stuck to me was that if you look at these companies, right? So they, like say Corning, they have created an entire town out of sort of very small business getting some revenue, uh, like big business but getting some revenue, and then they made the they contributed pretty massively to it to, to local economy and beyond and vis-a-vis -vis if, if you look at any dot-com based companies and any sort of new evolution new companies that are, that are emerging we always hear about like handful of folks um, creating a ginormous amount of um, impact it doesn't translate that well to uh, to the masses so how so from your vantage point how is um, is that a technology issue or is that our perception of what business is nowadays issue like more of a cultural has changed that where i don't uh, like i don't have to give back to the to to the uh, local economy that much like what's your vantage point on that we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Business is certainly moving towards e-commerce platforms and digital uh, uh, applications are the big uh, growth areas. I mean, we're seeing e-commerce uh, take off. Uh, there've been estimates that a number of malls around the country are gonna be closing just because mm -hmm. people don't need physically to go to a mall anymore to uh, purchase uh, clothes or other uh, consumer items. Uh, people prefer to do it uh, through online uh, platforms. So that's certainly having uh, big uh, ramifications in terms of uh, local communities and how uh, that is uh, playing out. Uh, in the United States, our digital economy is growing almost a couple percentage points every year. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you kind of project that forward over the next uh, decade, it's not gonna be very long until we uh, reach a point where the digital economy comprises about 25 to 30% of the overall economy. And so we're basically facing a transformation very similar to what we faced 100 years ago uh, when the country moved from an agrarian to an industrial economy it was a very difficult uh, process. There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of uh, turmoil. Uh, workers were trying to organize and unionize uh, in order to meet the power of the big corporations of the day. It took uh, several decades to actually work through all those issues, but eventually we had a series of economic and political reforms that helped us through that transition. So we developed Social Security, unemployment compensation, mm. moved towards mass education. Uh, in the United States, we did a constitutional amendment to add the income tax uh, to the Constitution, and so that became a way to finance uh, some of the new programs. Uh, there were a series of political reforms that made it possible to enact these uh, policy uh, measures. Uh, we expanded the electorate. Uh, women earned the right to vote. Uh, we had direct election of uh, senators. So there were lots of changes 100 years ago that allowed us to make that transition. 
we're pretty much at the same point today in moving to the digital economy, where in the book I talk about a lot of economic and political reforms that we're going to need in order to be able to navigate this landscape. Uh, it's certainly within our means to handle the disruptions that are going to take place. We're going to need to do worker retraining. We're going to need to uh, reskill and upskill uh, people uh, so that they can qualify for the jobs of uh, the future. But it's going to be a difficult uh, time period. It, it takes a while for any society to work through those types of transitions. Interesting. And um, that, that's a very interesting perspective. So I think when I talked to, like I was, I was talking to a, a, a Fortune 100 company a couple of weeks back and one of their chief of staff, and I was discussing this sort of changing landscape of work, and he and he was telling me, Vishal, right, that at the at the age when reskilling a worker takes um, longer than the shelf life of a skill, then everything goes out of the window. Like I I'm I'm not able to sort of reskill my workers fast enough. So how would how would an executive like that console? Like what are some of your suggestions and thoughts, or some of the best practices that you think that businesses or sort of me as a worker uh, could could learn from this evolution. Like, what are some of the thoughts that you could share? I mean, that certainly is going to be is going to be the big challenge uh, going forward. There's certainly going to be lots of new jobs created, including kinds of jobs that uh, we don't even know what they are uh, now. Mm. Uh, you know, certainly anything involving data design is going to be uh, an important thing. Uh, people having soft skills of communications and collaboration; uh, those are going to be uh, very important as well. But the problem is the people who are going to be losing their jobs, uh, including many people uh, who currently have uh, entry-level positions, they don't have the skills uh, for those mm. new jobs. And so we're going to need to really make a substantial effort to retrain them. I think community colleges are going to play a very important role because they often are the institutions that educate first-generation students, uh, immigrants, older people, poor people. So we need to put a lot more effort into community colleges to make sure that they're up to the task. Uh, companies are developing their own in-house retraining uh, programs. Uh, AT&T, for example, is a company that's been very successful in taking uh, entry-level people from their call centers, uh, giving them more technical skills so that they can provide the services and have better jobs. Uh, so there certainly are models out there of how we can do it, but we just need to understand there is going to be this transition. We have to make sure that people don't get left behind. Interesting. And so how, how does I ensure, like as a worker, like what are some of the thoughts that you could you could suggest me I should do uh, to stay relevant? In the book, I talk about the need for lifetime learning. People are basically going to have to upgrade their skills throughout their uh, lives because people are going to have five, six, seven, or eight different kinds of jobs, and they may be jobs in different sectors as well. Uh, in my case, I've had two employers basically in my uh, adult uh, uh, period. Uh, people in the future are not going to have that experience. They're going to have more employers. They will have more different kinds of jobs, and they're going to need different skills. So the whole idea that basically we invest in education up through about age 25 is that's going to be obsolete. People are going to have to continually upgrade their skills. They're going to have to invest in education. Uh, all through their lives uh, up until the point that they retire. So it's going to involve a very different mindset than what we have right now. Interesting. Actually, so um, I was I was talking to one of the um, one of the sort of uh, uh, futurist 
and 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 he and he was he was telling me Vishal. So today we have chefs. The future would be souppreneurs and 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 sort of sandwichpreneurs. And his perspective was that uh, the economy is moving from jobs to tasks in a way. Like we're going towards more more gig gig centric economy and all that. From your vantage point, like what are your thoughts? Like how is that true? And and then and then what's the resolve considering what's happening today and and sort of how we can connect the two dots together? I think that is true. Like when I talk with young people today, I'm always surprised how they have to sometimes do two or three or four different types of part-time jobs to basically earn enough living uh, to really uh, make it now. That may be the model going forward. You know, the idea that somebody has one permanent job uh, may, you know, which was certainly the case of my generation, that may no longer be the case. You know, it's the whole point of the sharing economy. Uh, but the tricky thing in the United States is the sharing economy often means part-time jobs with no benefits. So it's going to be a question, are these people going to have sufficient incomes to be able to make it? Where are they going to get health care benefits? How are they going to plan for their retirement? Uh, so those are some of the policy issues that we uh, face. Uh, and I think there are actually pretty straightforward ways to handle uh, those issues. But we need to start having those conversations now because those are going to be very contentious subjects going forward. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. And I think, um, so So one thing is, that, so technology is, is disrupting even like how we are learning things now. Can technology help me learn? Uh, this new emerging like what are your thoughts on how can i use technology in my favor to pretty much empower uh, me in this future sort of jobs of uh, future technology definitely can help you learn just because people can live anywhere around the world and basically have access to this incredible diversity of electronic resources you know, when I was growing up, you basically had to physically go to the library and check out uh, books. And of course, all this information is online, and that's a great convenience uh, for uh, people. Uh, people can access, you know, the greatest minds as long as they have an internet connection. And mm -hmm. we're at the point now where I think more than 2 billion people around the world do have access to the uh, internet, uh, and we need to close that divide. So the other 5 billion people also can gain access. Uh, it's very important that they have that so that they can uh, uh, have access to all these electronic resources that are out there. Interesting. And, and, and what, what, what role do you see government play uh, in like in sort of whether you call it public policy and how does, how does government help in smoothening this or at least softening the blow that the economy is facing or probably will face uh, from this, this disruptive technology and sort of automation and AI? I think the government has to play a role. This is not a problem that the private sector by itself can solve uh, because uh, companies are getting more efficient. Like if you compare the large companies mm -hmm. today versus large companies from uh, 50 years ago, uh, back in those days, the largest companies had 500,000 or 600,000 uh, employees. The big companies today may have 20,000, 50,000, or 100,000 mm. 
employees, but nobody has 500,000 employees because you don't need that many uh, people uh, to scale up your uh, digital uh, platform. So what government is going to have to do is to help people rescale. Uh, government is going to play a role in terms of worker retraining. Uh, the policy angle is going to be very important. Uh, we need to move towards portable benefits uh, because if people are moving around to different jobs and different employers, they need to be able to take their benefits uh, with them. Uh, today, the benefit is attached to the job, and we need to kind of think about ways to separate the benefit from the job so that if people are moving to different employers, you know, they're not without healthcare uh, coverage. If they are underemployed, you know, if they have mm. one part-time job that doesn't provide healthcare benefits, we have to provide a way for them to get healthcare. Interesting. And and how would the? I think you 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 talked briefly about um, say uh, community colleges stepping in. Like, how would the education uh, needs to be revisited when it comes to? Because I think I was talking to one of the guy. Um, he's running an online platform, learning platform, and he's telling me that hey, you know what? Uh, People don't un understand that ex when you explain someone someone through online medium, you have to really even understand their psyche that every seven minutes they have to put in some blurb that is to regain their attention, capture their, their attention back, which which was pretty easy when we talk about in a physical setup. And and sort of, and I can't, and on the other side, I, I was talking to a community college, they were saying, oh, we, are, we are getting less and less funding nowadays. And then even with whatever we have, the, the the industry is going to such a such a massive scale we can't catch up like we can't get trainers fast enough we can't get the sort of the content fast enough so what do you think are the some of the changes that this these educational medium needs to make to sort of help us out um in in getting retrained in time i mean retraining is going to be absolutely uh, crucial and that's the reason i was emphasizing the role of community colleges because mm -hmm. they are often the educator of first resort for many mm. people in society, especially non-traditional uh, students. Like the traditional uh, students are still going to four-year uh, colleges, uh, but there are lots of Americans uh, for whom college means going to a community college. And what a lot of the community colleges are doing now is developing partnerships with local companies in their area and developing training programs that feed directly into those employers because uh, they want to make sure that the students are coming out of those programs with good job skills. So by working closely with those local companies, uh, they can tailor their training uh, to what is needed. Uh, the company itself can, you know, once they hire the individual, can provide more specialized uh, training if uh, that is uh, needed. So I think mm -hmm. kind of seeing partnerships between uh, 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 schools and uh, colleges and uh, universities and local businesses is a way to help with the retraining part. Interesting. And and um, from your your perspective, like uh, so, considering the in in the age of robots, AI, and automation, as as your book rightly suggested, how can I coexist with that? Like, so what what do you see as as the future of 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 work happening? How would these two worlds live together, if at all? Well, in the short run, and let's define the short run as, let's say, the next uh, 10 years, I don't see robots replacing humans. I think mm. the more likely scenario is robots and AI augmenting humans, kind of mm. working with humans in a way that improves our capacity, improves our productivity, 
and makes it easier for us to do our jobs. I think there are parts of almost everybody's job uh, that have some routine elements, and those are the elements that can be automated. Uh, the virtue of that is it actually may free people to focus on the higher level parts of their job, the more creative parts of the job, uh, the parts that actually are more uh, interesting and innovative. So, you know, if we can kind of think about uh, automation uh, as a way to augment humans, that might help alleviate some of the anxiety that people feel about how automation is going to affect them. Interesting. Um, so, I think one of the things that I was I was talking to recently uh, with uh, one of the Uber's learning executive, and and they were they were telling me that Vishal, one of the things that keeps the current learning and development people uh, awake at night was primarily there's a lot of uh, depression among the the the, the new uh, entrant to the workforce because uh, what they have been taught uh, in the in their academia and what they see in, in in real world are totally two two different things they can't connect the dots together and then the the early incentivization sort of concept that hey even that is not in their favor because right now they want something quick and munchy so they can they can understand what's going on and but so that's why there's a there's a massive depression going on uh, with the youngsters getting into the workforce how would like what's your your take on that like are you seeing that uh, from from your research as well what, what what do you see well we have to close that gap between education on the one hand and employment uh some parts of education are very theoretical very concept oriented not very practical so and that sometimes makes it difficult for employers because they hire people and find out they don't actually have the job skills needed to work at that company and then the company has to do a lot of uh, retraining right there so we need to reform our schools so that people are coming out with the skills that are actually going to be needed in the 21st century economy now this is not just applied skills we're also going to mm -hmm. need soft skills uh, because uh, the types of things that we know are going to be needed are great communication skills we need people who can translate between the technical people and the rest of us uh, so that the technology is accessible to everyone. Design skills are going to be uh, very important. You know, you don't want systems that are just designed by computer science people or engineers, but uh, people who can relate to others, uh, non-specialists, non-technical uh, people. You know, Apple didn't always make the best products from a technical standpoint, but they actually did make the best products from a design standpoint. And that's one of the reasons their products are so popular these days. So the design element is going to be very important as we move into these new technologies, just to make sure that people can use them and they understand what is happening with them. Interesting. And I think I was um, talking uh, about the intelligence, the, the idea of AI with uh, with one, one colleague of mine and we're, we're talking about that how the definition of AI has been evolved, right? So when you, when, when you talk about machine, right? So at one point it was a tic-tac-toe, used to be an AI. Then it became a chess player, a self-chess playing game. And now it's it's a Go playing AI. So in, in, in the age when sort of the machine's intelligence definition is evolving. And then from our end, even like humans, like we used, we used to be at one point that the intelligence is how much we cram. Now, how much creative or sort of artists we are, 
and so do you think from your vantage point that um machine and and and, and human intelligence would be a totally different phenomenon in itself so they would be sort of they would not be competing but but complementing each other so what's what's your thought on that well the goal should be uh, that it be a complementary relationship there are certain things the machines can do better than humans but this does not mean that humans are going to be obsolete uh, humans are still going to have the creativity, the ability to innovate, uh, the ability to kind of take something that happened in one area and generalize it to another uh, area. We have very good AI systems uh, that can perform discrete and very concrete uh, tasks, but it's still hard for them to, to learn in one area and apply it in a very uh, different area. Like that is an area where humans uh, retain a major advantage. and. I don't really see that changing in the near future. Now, maybe 50 and 100 years uh, down the road, uh, things will evolve uh, to the point where that's no longer the case. But at least for the next few decades, uh, I think uh, using computers to augment humans is going to be the way to go. Interesting. And I think, so if, if, if I wear my business hat and if I'm talking to a business, right? So one thing I, I, I sort of capture from the conversation, like if I, uh, if I consider cost uh, as one of the motive uh, for me to grow, then obviously auto I, I would prefer automation. I would prefer sort of automating things, making it more operationally efficient and sort of saving on my bottom line. On the other side, uh, one thing that I'm missing out on is the creative edge. Every business is, has, has, has a business edge or business competitive edge. And the, that is primarily the art of, of, of the business. And the moment sort of I decide on the AI side, I somehow let go of that those sort of discrete diverse opinion working together in sort of creating this hacks and creating this creative out sort of outcome that is helping my business. So what's what's your thought on that? That if I'm a business, which side should I adhere to? Like what how should I resolve this 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 idea between art versus like STEM as, as my business? I mean, I think the art of the business still is going to be very relevant because that's the creative side of the business. That's the human side of the business. And when you think about businesses that are successful, they often get the art uh, very well. And so mm. even the technology companies that require you know, great technical sophistication in order to uh, put the products up, they still cannot lose sight of the creative and artistic part of it because you need technology that is accessible to people that does the stuff that we want it uh, to do. Uh, and so it has to augment uh, humans in order to be most beneficial. Interesting. And so if I'm a business, like, is there, an, is there any magic recipe for me that, hey, I should appreciate a uh, certain degree of sort of this intuitive uh, or sort of this creative aspect of business and certain degree of these AI and machines? Like, is there any, from your perspective, is there any best practice or is there any sort of any stat that's, that you could suggest me that I should keep a, keep an eye on when I'm thinking of my, my future or my business future? Well, AI systems are developing a learning capability. Uh, and so what they're doing is, uh, you know, they will kind of look at a number of different situations and then they will start to learn out of that and then start to apply uh, that knowledge. So that is how the systems are getting better. Uh, robots are actually coming down in price. Uh, people have told me that you can actually get pretty sophisticated uh, robots today 
in the range of twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars. You know, that's about the cost of an entry-level person in the United States. And so, the cost differential between hiring the human versus uh, 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 ordering the robot has started to uh, disappear. And of course, robots can work around the clock. Uh, they don't get sick. Uh, they don't complain about uh, yeah. uh, the heat or in the temperature, uh, and so uh, this is the thing that uh, this is one of the reasons why we're seeing a pretty major advance in the use of uh, robotics in the manufacturing sector, in warehouses, and in other areas as well. Interesting, and and also like I, I was talking to this Department of Labor's one of the one of the previous secretaries, uh, one of their staff member, and 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 we were discussing about this idea of that. Um, in 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 dip, in sort of in great depression one of the thing that was golden was this unemployment office so they created this office to support someone they gave them barely enough incentive uh, so they can sustain and then they negotiate a price with, with with businesses give them some incentive and make the connection happen and they became that glue that connected this unemployment with some employment and and it stirred up the economy and then rest is history but i think his perspective was that nowadays Folks are people are working in their own isolation. Like I'm, I'm sitting alone in my own laptop. I'm talking too much. Probably, if I lost job, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm sad. I don't want to see any face who has, who is having a job. In that mindset, sort of, they say we have a lot of government programs to support these individuals, uh, in some ways, but they have to reach to us. Like we cannot find these people somehow. What do you like from your vantage point? How do you see that resolve? Because I think. Depression did a great thing that sure they have tested this model it worked but right now we are a lot more online the, even like our DNA is now uh, crude that we just are more on our cell phone than sort of talking to each other and talking going to these offices how would you see that um, it, it 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 would it would help the future generation getting this job I mean I think the technology is going to move in a more collaborative direction because. Certainly the old model of people just sitting by themselves and engaging with the technology is already starting to uh, uh, go away. Uh, for example, in the gaming area, there are these massive online games involving hundreds or thousands of people, and it's a social activity. Uh, you're, you know, you're not just sitting at your own computer kind of in isolation uh, by yourself, but you're part of a gaming community. and. People love that in South Korea, for example, it's incredibly popular. There actually are gaming uh, offices where people go and, uh, you know, it's a major form of entertainment there. But I think the same thing applies in the workplace that, you know, today's problems are interdisciplinary in nature. They're complicated. Mm -hmm. They're basically beyond the skills of any one person. You need to put together collaborative teams composed of people of differing backgrounds and with differing skills that can work together and solve problems that way. So I think technology increasingly is not going to be isolated and is not going to be isolating in the way that it deals with people, but it's going to bring people together to solve problems because that's how uh, we need to move forward. Interesting. And I think um, that reminds me of uh, one of the sort of conversation I had with one of the one of the Deloitte's executive on work and he was telling me that Vishal in future because of broadband I think you also mentioned a, a party in a few, couple of minutes back that because we have access to broadband someone sitting at a village in Tuscany with a laptop would be able to contribute with safe cognitive abilities as a guy going to a Manhattan neighboring office 
so his perspective was when the future is going sort of that fluid even the the border lines are fading away between the countries and and pretty much like everything is now so global what is your finding like are you seeing the same like what's what's your take on that everything is uh, global and certainly there are a lot of companies that have moved towards uh, global supply chains uh, you know most of the big multinational companies are global entities uh, they are not just a product of any one country uh, anymore and they see their audience as uh, global in uh, nature so you know, it's one of the ways that, you know, we're trying to take technology all around the world so that more and more people can get the benefits of it. Uh, you know, we don't want technology to exacerbate inequality and yeah. create greater differences uh, between uh, people. Uh, there are certainly worries about that uh, right now, but we need to keep developing the technology to try and minimize uh, the way the technology pulls us apart and emphasize the way the technology can bring us together. Interesting. Now, if, if we go slightly tactical about uh, some things that businesses and we and sort of business uh, government could do. So if, if we talk about say, what are the steps that government could take to, to sort of secure uh, its citizens and its, its sort of its worker to stay relevant and employed so they can keep paying taxes? The thing that governments need to be focusing on is one, the education process to make sure that schools are training uh, young people for the jobs of the 21st century so that they are not instantly obsolete the moment they uh, graduate from high school or uh, college. Uh, mm. They also need to uh, make sure that benefits are portable because people are going to be moving across sectors and across employers and they need uh, to make sure there's no interruption in their health care or in their retirement planning, even though they might have six or seven different employers during the course of their uh, job. Uh, one of the hardest parts is going to be making sure people have sufficient income. Inequality uh, mm. has been a big problem here. Inequality in America is at a hundred year uh, peak uh, or a high point, uh, and that's certainly <coughs> a, a challenge. So we just need to be thinking about public policy in a very creative way in terms of education, in terms of social welfare uh, policies, and in terms of any income inequality, because these are all the things that we have to address in order to make sure everybody shares in the benefits of the technology revolution. Interesting. And, and, and what do you suggest a business should do? Like what are some of the steps that businesses could take? Businesses definitely have a very important role in going forward in the sense that Businesses are going to be crucial in terms of retraining. Uh, you know, they are the people who are actually hiring uh, most mm. of the people. So uh, we have to uh, make sure that schools are producing uh, uh, students who have the skills that businesses uh, need. Uh, businesses are going to be playing a big role in terms of the retraining uh, process. Uh, they're already uh, doing that to uh, some extent. Uh, I think that will probably become a, a bigger role uh, in uh, the future. Uh, people may end up having to work fewer hours in uh, the future, mm. and that may allow people to pursue their leisure time activities. You know, everybody has hobbies, whether it's uh, music or art or culture or sports or whatever it turns out to be. Ideally, uh, technology should make us more productive, and that may mean that we have to work less and that we have more time to pursue leisure time activities. Interesting. And, and, and what do you suggest to a worker, uh, an individual? To, what are some of the things they could do to stay relevant? 
uh, they have to constantly upgrade their job skills. That is just going to be absolutely uh, vital. Uh, people who are aged 30 or 40 or 50 uh, are going to have to be learning new things uh, because there are going to be a bunch of new jobs that are uh, created, uh, but they're probably going to involve skills that people coming out of college right now do not uh, necessarily have. And so just making sure uh, that the skills of the employers and the skills needed by uh, uh, the companies match up is a very high priority. Interesting. And I think, and, and, and one thing, um, I, I briefly uh, sort of touched uh, on this idea of that, um, like technology is more tempting to businesses nowadays. Like they can do a lot more pretty quickly. The scale is significant and it's, it's sort of, it's making, um, businesses more tempted towards using technology more and more. And suddenly now, like I'm from a data end and I talked to a lot of businesses around their use of data and how they're using intelligence in data. And many times I I am stunned and stalled by the fact that they are taking even their core competency decisions through very data centric uh, methodologies, and and sort of although I I love as long as it's getting them good uh, bottom line, but my anxiety point is you don't want to be washed with the next upgrade of the software, right? So you still have that category sort of that that edge of intuitive edge that you have created and kept. How could businesses uh, resolve that? Like, how could businesses stay relevant and like n not get tempted? Or like, what what do you think uh, businesses should do in future? Like, would should because almost everywhere we see we see and hear you talk about many of the executives are the, even their incentives are tagged with uh, with the with the fact that uh, how much they are using technology for the decision making. So I mean, what, what businesses have to focus on is really the data. It's like digital data are the contemporary gold mines. Like that's mm -hmm. what companies uh, want. That's what has uh, value. Uh, but we also need to make sure that the data that are being generated are being used for good purposes uh, and that they advance society as a whole and not just a, a particular uh, company. So, you know, we would like to see uh, greater access to digital data for the research community uh, because that's the way we can actually learn how to make these systems uh, better. Uh, when you think about areas like education and healthcare, there are lots of data uh, there. In the technology area, it's harder to get open access uh, data. Most of the data are mm. proprietary in uh, nature. And so we just need to kind of figure out uh, ways for one, businesses to generate the digital data that they can use but also make sure that the information is being used in a way that advances society as a whole. Interesting. And now, so what's your what's your take on the on the future of workplace? So, so we talked about work briefly. We talked about um, workers, how they would stay and uh, stay relevant. Uh, what do you think about the workplace? Like, how is that shaping up in in the future? Well, I think the future of work is going to vary a lot sector by sector. Finance, for example, is an area that is already seeing a lot of automation, and that is likely to accelerate uh, even in the next uh, few years. Uh, the restaurant business is going to be uh, transformed by automation. I mean, sometimes when I go into restaurants mm. now, they hand me a tablet and I order from the tablet as opposed mm. to from a waiter or waitress. So uh, that clearly is going to uh, make a, uh, a big difference. In the retail sector, uh, Amazon is experimenting with stores uh, without sales clerks. So basically, uh, it has software that tracks the item that you put mm. in your shopping cart. 
and automatically charges you for those items without you ever having to uh, interact with a, a sales clerk. Uh, autonomous vehicles are uh, going to be hitting uh, the road in the next uh, one or two years. Uh, certainly in the truck driving business, there are going to be a lot of autonomous vehicles. In the ride sharing uh, business, the Ubers and the Lyfts, uh, uh, they are uh, moving uh, rapidly ahead. So uh, those are the sectors uh, that I think are going to see the greatest uh, changes. Education and healthcare, on the other hand, tend to be slow adopters of technology innovation. That's true today. That's likely to continue to be the case over the next uh, five years. So there will certainly be a technology impact in those areas, but it's likely to be slower and less profound than what we see in some other sectors. Interesting. And um, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a very valid point. And I think you talked about um, autonomous trucks. And I think one thing I, that reminded me of a conversation about, um, so, and this is, this is I, was, I was talking to one of the, uh, one of the executives at, at a staffing company. And his perspective was, so I was talking to them, hey, how people are getting retrained and retooled? Like, can, how frequently are you training someone for relevant skills and, and saving them from irrelevant ones? And, and his perspective was that many times folks realize after the fact that they're, they're irrelevant, right? So most of the time, and, and I think one, one sort of story that, that narrated, narrates this all is, so I, I met this guy, he was given uh, Employee of the Year Award for three years or four years by a very reputed company. And he was a speech to text analytics guy. And he gave me his, res and then he was let go. And then, and I just took his resume and gave it to one of the premier company that is empowering Apple and say, hey, guy, this is the executive. He was the best guy for the company. Go and have like quickly recruit this guy. And the, this this new company told me that he's obsolete. Like he's whatever he's working on is blah, blah, blah. Right. So and, and, and I, I, I talked to that guy and said, hey, you know, Vishal, I trusted my previous company when they told me that I am the best. And they are keeping me busy enough that I'm, I, I, I thought that I am the best. Now I'm realizing I'm obsolete how do so how do technology resolve that particular conflict like or, or or do you think from from public policy end or you know from from should businesses own up to that their workers are employable as they head into the future like who would be responsible for making ensuring that someone is relevant well today the answer to that question is the individual employee is responsible mm. for him or herself so if you're doing well, it's because you're smart, you're creative, mm -hmm. you're working hard, and so on. And if you're not doing well, the implication is you're not uh, working hard enough. But I think we need to get over that as a culture because mm -hmm. there needs to be more of a social responsibility because there are going to be smart, hardworking, and creative people who may not have a job at a particular point in time or they may be underemployed. They may not be in a position that makes a full use of their skills. And so I think we have to, as a society, uh, figure out ways to bring everybody along, uh, even during periods of unemployment or underemployment, because they're gonna be very good people who end up in that situation. That's, I think that's a very valid point. And, and, and to, to sort of add to the, the previous conversation, so we did a, brief research uh, with this with this with young sort of uh, up and coming talent as they're going inside the workforce and we interview them and we ask them hey how many of you really ask about that whichever company you're joining is actually ensuring their employability not really employment because employment tomorrow you may not have employment as you rightly said it's not because of your reason it's because of something else but 
if the comp and almost like no one said they don't care about the employability as of now so i think that's a that's a fair point that today um, not everyone is i'm responsible for myself and I, I don't expect my employer to keep me up to date um, on on what's going on and and and, and the other thing sort of um, and this is we were asked to do help out through our ai solution um, that that we were pitching in was that hey sure ai is disrupting jobs but can ai help save it can ai ensure and and tell me vishal this it's like recommend engine right so people who have done that have also tried this can can sort of the skill be commoditized in a way that i'm purchasing skill and then they're saying hey by the way your skill warranty is 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 shining is wiping off maybe you should you should renew that or something uh, have in your research have you seen something like this happening or some inclination towards that i have uh, seen that happening and so for example in the ai area ai is actually going to create a lot of uh, jobs as well so i was talking with someone the other day uh, who's using ai to track elephant herds around the world you know just to make sure mm. elephants aren't uh, too endangered and uh, become uh, too uh, scarce so you know they use ai to kind of track what's going on and what the potential threats are and so on but in order for those systems to work you have to train the ai system which basically means somebody has to go through a bunch of satellite imagery and figure out what is an elephant versus what is something else uh, it's a manual job it's a little tedious but it's a job that humans have to do uh, in order to train the ai system so that's an example of, of of a kind of work that actually involves pretty big numbers of people that are going to be needed in order for the ai systems to function the way we need them to function interesting and and how would a leader should should sort of react to this like if if i am a business leader what would you want me to take away from this like from your research and from the future of work what would what should i learn leadership is going to require a lot of flexibility because there's going to be a lot of uncertainty in the overall environment uh, the political system the economic system the world of trade the world of international commerce like there's just a lot of changes uh, that are going to be uh, taking place and so in all of these areas leaders are going to have to keep their antenna up in a variety of different areas uh, the world is probably going to be less predictable going forward than it has been over the last 50 years and so leaders are going to have to be able to spot trends uh, that may develop very quickly that have implications either for them or their employees or uh, the companies uh, as a whole uh, people need to develop probably a greater sense of tolerance for chaos and uncertainty because the world going forward is likely to be more chaotic not uh, less chaotic interesting and, and 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 from your research like what are you hopeful about in in, in future like what what do you really are, are hopeful um, getting into the future I'm basically a technology optimist in the sense that I think mm -hmm. there are amazing technologies that are coming uh, to fruition uh, these days I think it is going to make our lives easier um, my hope is that 20 and 30 years from now uh, people can basically work fewer hours uh, still earn a decent living and have time to pursue their leisure time activities and I believe that if we make the right policy choices now, we can actually end up, I wouldn't necessarily call it a utopia, but something mm. uh, 
that uh, where most people are better off uh, than is the case today. Uh, but the flip side of that is my worry is that our governance is so poor today that we may not be able to enact the policy changes that are needed to help people through this 20 and 30 year transition period. And if that turns out the case, then we're more likely to end up in dystopia than utopia. Interesting. And 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 how could we save ourselves from getting into that uh, into into dystopian view? Like, what what are some of the thoughts? Well, the most important thing right now is just to recognize that technology innovation is accelerating. It's going to have massive consequences for society, for economy, and for a governance. And we need to start the process today on how to handle that transition. Like, if we start today, the pro the problem is perfectly within our capability of handling. However, if we wait 10 years or even 20 years, the problem is going to be too big at that point. We will not be able to solve it. So it's one of the reasons I wrote my book, The Future of Work, now, because it's perfectly mm. within our means to deal with all of the issues related to technology innovation and automation, but we need to be having those conversations right now. Interesting. Uh Thank you so much. I think that was very, very useful, Darla. And thank you so much for helping us understand the future of work perspective. So now let's spend a few minutes. I'm almost at the tail end of the conversation. So let's spend a few minutes on your background, like in your journey. What are some of the things, some of the traits that has helped you um, stay sane and, and do all this it's a wonderful work that anyone listening and, and watching could learn? Well, the thing that I like to emphasize when I'm uh, thinking uh, back to my uh, uh, early adulthood and uh, my educational experiences was just the the value of mentoring. I was really fortunate uh, when I was a college student to get terrific advice from people older and wiser than I was. Uh, as an example, this in the 1970s, uh, one of my undergraduate professors was saying, you know, there's this thing called computers that are coming in and you know you really need to develop computer skills. So based on that, I took a Fortran class. I didn't do very well in the class. I didn't really like computers. I didn't understand uh, these programming languages. But as a result of that advice, and as a result of taking that in some other classes, computers never scared me. Eventually, you know, I stuck with it. I developed uh, more uh, quantitative skills, statistical skills, and computer skills. And it turned out to be very valuable and helpful for my career. So I think for young people, kind of uh, finding those mentors who can help them navigate uh, what is likely to be a very turbulent world will be very important. Because you know, when you're 18, 19, or 20 years old, it's really hard to figure mm. those things out. That's a very, very, very valid point. So one more thing I ask all of our guests is to share one of their favorite read. Um, that 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 they like and and from your reading archives like do you have any favorite read uh one of the uh things i'm reading uh, right now is walter isaacson's a book on albert einstein uh very fascinating one of the geniuses of 100 years ago who just had amazing insights into uh the universe and uh, scientific phenomena and it's a really great book because it shows the human side of einstein it actually was surprising to me how much difficulty Einstein had in his professional career for <laughs> almost the first 10 or 15 years of his uh, professional life. Like he couldn't get a job. 
Uh, you know, he tried very hard to get teaching uh, jobs, and it was just very difficult. Uh, even after he published uh, the famous uh, papers that revolutionized the world, it was still several years after that point before he finally, you know, got a major teaching position and then, you know, went on to uh, great success. But it, it's kind of an interesting lesson to learn that even a genius like Einstein had professional mm. difficulty, uh, but was able to be persistent and to overcome those obstacles. Fascinating book. I think I couldn't agree more. It's, it's I, I, fascinating book. So thank you so much for suggesting that. So um, we're at the last, uh, but not the least section of our conversation. So um, if you want something uh, that the viewer and listener should take away from the conversation, what would that be like what would be a closing remark for for anyone listening and watching uh, and 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 worried about the future of work and and how it's shaping out to be i think the closing advice i would give people is just to be prepared for a wild ride over the next 10 and 20 years uh when i was growing up i was used to a lot more stability than i think is mm. likely to be the case going forward both uh i, I just think we're in a period where there's going to be political instability, economic instability, and some instability in terms of the social system and the culture in general. There are a lot of changes taking place in the United States. There are changes taking place all around the world. But if people expect instability and change and can adapt to it, you know, it can actually open up lots of possibilities. Uh, so uh, as long as people understand what they're dealing with, I think it will help them navigate the future world interesting with that um Daryl, again thank you so much for being really candid with your time and and explain helping us understand uh what's going on and and, and giving us a, a glimpse on the future of work i would definitely for our listeners and viewers i'll put the link for Daryl's books if you want to check it out i do appreciate um and with that Daryl, you're wel always welcome back on the podcast to share your journey you're always welcome back uh, to talk about the future books. Uh, love to have you back, discuss the dystopian or whichever view, you, how you describe it, shaping out to be. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks. That I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic gone? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down. I hope I'm not a bonus.